It is absolutely true what I say in this brief intro that A.J. Risley and I recorded at a Waffle House. We even ate breakfast through the whole thing. So any sounds of chewing, dishes clinking, coffee being refilled, our order being placed, all of that is 100% genuine and something you're probably not going to find on any other disc golf podcast. The exercise is left to the listener to decide whether that's good or bad on the Fish Golf Broadcast. On this episode of the Fish Golf Broadcast, I went to Waffle House with A.J. Risley. A.J., what you thinking about? Oh, man. Hello. Yeah. I'm thinking about breakfast, Think first of all, thinking about what, what I'd like to order. Um, and then when I zoom out, I'm thinking about Idlewild. That's where, we're, where we are currently. And I just went out, out there yesterday to walk the course, and it's as beautiful as ever manicured and uh and then zooming out from that it's my my job this year has been behind the camera rather than in front of it which historically has been the precedent so um this year has been a really good experience uh, kind of broadening my perspective and so to then zoom back in and think about um being behind the camera at Idlewild, I'm excited for, for that. All right. Well, those are essentially the topics that I wanted to get to anyway. Nice. Uh, so first, are there are there Waffles House in Southern California? No. How no. did how did your affinity develop? Uh, through my dad. My dad introduced me. He, mm-hmm. I think it was back in 2007. We were driving through driving through uh, the Midwest on our way from California to Milwaukee and uh, we yeah we stopped at a Waffle House in Kansas City and he had known about it because he had grown up in Florida okay and so there's plenty of Waffle House in Florida Um, and so he introduced me and took me to one in Kansas City for the first time and it was like the the way he described it was was great Uh, and then the experience that followed that description was, it was, it just, I was hooked. It was like no frills and really down to earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're ready. I know what I want. I'll do the all-star special. Good choice. Three bucks already. Yeah. <laughs> Over easy. I'll do the raisin toast. Yeah, I'll do hash browns. Can I have those smothered, covered, and chunked? I'll do the I'll do the sausage. Peanut butter. Can I do a triple order of hash browns? Scattered, triple covered, triple chunked, and a waffle. No thanks. Just waffle flavor. Just plain waffle. <laughs> That's cool. it. Thanks. Nice. nice. So, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, Kansas City was the first time. Mm-hmm. And I'd, like when I, I compare Waffle House a lot to Denny's or IHOP or Cracker Barrel, and it seems like the, 
the starkest comparison is always the the people working, and the I think the difference is in like the hospitality. There's no there's not really a forced or feigned hospitality at at Waffle House like there is at Cracker Barrel. No, it's Denny's. it's like brutal efficiency. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> way to put it. I love that. Um. I was thinking the other day about how, you know, being a fry cook or something was always looked down upon. Sure. Um, and, like, if you can run a short order cook operation at Waffle House or something, you could cook anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. Because, like you said, it's the efficiency. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about here. And, yeah, I mean, and that's what it's, that's what those skills are transferable anywhere. And so, yeah, that's a good point. I just lit a cigarette. Yeah, I mean, and I think that makes me think about what really hooked me to Waffle House. Mm-hmm. And I think that was um, traveling around the country, mostly mostly by myself. I would look for something that's, like, consistent in different locales, whether it's, like, Virginia or, or Georgia or Pennsylvania or... They're going to be hard to find in Pennsylvania, in my opinion. Yeah, um, a little but bit. I guess it's also like bringing a little bit of your dad with you, right? Yeah. Because of that mm-hmm. first instance. For sure, yeah. So much nostalgia. <laughs> um, so you had been a player, verging on elite mm-hmm. status, had like really figured out what you were doing in your game. Yeah. And then that kind of cratered. Yeah. What happened? Injury, wrist injury, wrist and, and shoulder injury. Um, and it was it was really just like a repetitive repetitive use strain um, on like on the the ulnar side of my forearm. And then kind of localized the pain was localized like right around this this area mm-hmm. area below the below the wrist towards the pinky side. And yeah, that's there was a at 2019 worlds i remember like during the first round feeling this like little throwing a a tee shot and then feeling a little twinge of pain that i had never felt in that that spot and i kept throwing i played through the whole the whole tournament i was i felt felt the pain in the first round and played through made the cut and played through to the end um and then yeah i just I took some time off to, to, to let that heal and did some strength training and some physical therapy and made it come back in 2020 and, and then felt that pain again later in the year and took some more time off and then tried it again, tried to make another comeback, do more physical therapy and strength training and, and then and then started playing again and felt the felt the same kind of pain after a few months so it's just been a yeah it's it's been kind of a lingering issue that's never that I haven't quite figured out yet yeah clearly um, and you did physical therapy I assume you like went and saw some kind of medical professional yeah we and we we, we kind of like figured out half of the issue I think we figured out like what the what the pain was and where it was localized but we 
we ne we haven't quite figured out like what the root the root source of that pain is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if it's if the source is disc golf, well then it's disc golf, but that's that's outside of myself and outside of my body. So there's got to be something in my skeletal structure that's a little bit off that's causing this pain. Sure, and it, it, it seems like it wouldn't be a sudden onset due to disc golf if, if the root cause was disc golf. It, it seems like it would creep up on you. Yeah, um, I think you're right. Yeah. That's, that's very curious and frustrating, mostly in the unknown nature of it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the pretty much it yeah i mean that's <laughs> kind of what the past three or four years has been has been a lot of like searching through unknown and trying to feel out what what my body feels like through through different processes whether it's different different stretches different exercises but then also just like trying to roll with the punches and um not and drop the expectations like drop the expectations of what the recovery process should be like what it needs to look like um that's been kind of difficult as well because i mean i've grown up watching watching sports and watching people go through injuries and sustain injuries and recover from injuries and so using those expectations had you know i thought okay well i have an injury this might sideline me sideline me for like six months maybe a year at the worst and i'll you know probably need a surgery or just some time off and but then the reality of the reality of the whole situation started started to set in um, after i initially sustained the injury like i don't have the same health insurance that that a, a baseball player has. Mm -hmm. I don't have the same medical staff that a yeah. football player has. A, a training staff of an army yeah. watching over you at all times invested in your outcome. Yeah, exactly. Like the with with the healthcare that I was able to afford, the the doctors prescribed they before they prescribed an MRI, they prescribed ibuprofen and physical therapy. <laughs> so which is more or less what you could have done right <laughs> yes right so it's like i need so that was like a lot of the frustration was like i i need to figure out what the problem is and um i just didn't quite have the the resources to do that um so so then it just kind of leads to leads to decisions that you know, I have to set down the set aside the the disc golf dream for for a little bit currently, um, and and focus on other things. And so, I've definitely I've told myself plenty of times that I'm just just setting it down and not completely letting it go. Sure. And uh, even that gets to be difficult sometimes. Can you? Talk a little bit about the mental side of like com coming to terms with that. Yeah, I mean, it's like what what led me to fully commit to that the lifestyle of 
the touring pro was the confidence in myself and confidence in the process of, of spending all my time working on that one that one goal. And my recollection is you went on tour when you were rated 970 or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Not not full time, but but I definitely enough, enough to yes Thank enough. You. That's that's a good way to put it. Um, and even when I was when I went on tour full time, I think I was like 990 rated mm-hmm. that first year. Um, and yeah, so it's like when I put all my time into into that one venture. So when that wasn't there, or when that vent, when when I would put my time into something that wasn't producing results. That would, that's when things became very confusing. So it's like when I'm, you know, and I guess what I mean by that is like actively resting um, and choosing to choosing to rest and choosing to do things other than throw and other than um, exert <laughs> in order to gain, to gain that strength. And so it was like then I started to feel like okay, I'm now I'm losing. I'm losing ground and I'm losing losing time on other people or time on or losing ground on my own timeline where I thought I was going to be because that those the two the last two years where I was on tour full time 2018 and 19 thanks thank you yeah like you said it was looks great yeah, it looks perfect. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, those the twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen were like really good really good years for me and I I remember you being on lead card, chase card, several times in those. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, had a lot of, a lot of really good finishes, and so I started to believe that my trajectory was, like you were saying, like elite status. I think I was like somewhere around like top 25, top 50 ranked in the world during that time, and so my, yeah, my belief was was that I was was going to keep going. And so I, that was like where all my, that was where all my energy and all my mental energy went. Um, and I think my family saw that. They, they saw the determination and like the extra, extra effort that I had started to put in um, compared to the, the few years previous. When you were just like idly throwing and calling that being a pro when I was like yeah when I was splitting my time between um, college and, and disc golf right you know go, going going to going to class Monday through Monday through Thursday <laughs> and then Friday Saturday Sunday booking it to a tournament yep yeah that was uh, the first few years of the pro my pro experience and so yeah to move to full-time disc golf uh, yeah, I mean, and then to move to that and then have it and then not have that, um, 
was very tumultuous. And so I think I mistakenly um, took some of those things personally. Yeah, it's hard not to. Sure. Yeah, and I think yeah because of the the nature of the nature of the sport, the, you know, being an individual individual sport, individual competition, and then also the nature of this uh, our tour life and our sport compared to the rest of the economy. You know, it's like we're nomads, try, almost almost homeless, <laughs> um, trying to do trying to do something to the best of our abilities right it uh, definitely gets to be very isolating um, so yeah I internalized a lot of things some of it was for some of it was for good some of it was for worse you know it's like when I'm out, out on the course and I'm studying the course it's like internalizing is the best thing I could do yeah you know, no doubt because then I can figure out how to throw the disc exactly how it needs to be thrown to to get the best score but then when when i'm interacting with other people and internalizing those interactions um and that's kind of where things started to they started to kind of go in the wrong direction and so then um going from a lifestyle where on tour out on the country with 20 or 30 colleagues who are doing the same thing to then go back home isolate myself at home with an injury and then now there's covid lockdown completely isolated it was it was like all internalization and so um then it was like the the voices that were that I would hear inside my head started to kind of transform from my own thoughts to and that I would kind of like let thoughts in that weren't my own from you know whether it's comparisons made by people in the media like it was strange things because I watched a lot of ESPN during that time too and so would watch the you know, first take and sports center and get up and all this criticism of other professional athletes. And so somehow they kind of saw that as criticism of myself <laughs> because I, because I wasn't really, I wasn't performing and producing results to the, up to the standard that I had grown accustomed to. So, um, like I said, it's like I, that internalization think I tricked myself into believing that it was like my superpower and then when I didn't have an outlet for it it then became like uh, you know, the, the, it, it, the most it etched you up from poison. inside the what it etched you up from inside yes yeah yeah I'm Hannah Wynn, and I listen to the Fish Golf Broadcast while I am at a music festival. I'm Gavin Rathbun, and I listen to the Fish Golf Broadcast while I make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. If you like where this show is headed, stick around for part two. We'll never barrage you with 11 minutes of droning external ads to start the show. 
So please support the Fish Golf Broadcast by visiting discgolfbra.com for hats and other apparel. Fish stamped discs are available at fishdiscgolf.com and daddydiscgolf.com, and you can save 10% on upperparkdiscgolf.com with the code ANDREW10 on backpacks and other items. And now, more lies and outrageous claims from our guest, met with calm reason by Fish. Yeah, I feel like there's some obligation of me to be a little bit delicate in that first line of questioning about injury and recovery and ultimately deciding that you had to take some time off from trying to be a professional player. Um, But clearly there's still a large part of you that wants to be very involved in the game and likes the, the like creating and sharing the flight of a disc. Um, So now you are one of the primary camera operators for disc golf network. You had done that previously with Terry Miller and uh, done some commentary work and some other goofy media things. Uh, and your degree is is very apt for this too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I graduated from the uh, California State University at San Marcos in 2016 with a visual and performing arts degree. And I focused a lot on video production while I was in school. Um, like I did a couple, made a couple documentaries um, where I was the main camera operator and editor. Um, and then I, I had a job on campus the, the whole time I went to school and the job was in a, like a computer lab where the students were renting out camera equipment and working on video projects. So I was just like surrounded by that the whole time. And then um, I worked with my, my best friend and and then he graduated before me and became my supervisor and we would go out to different departments on campus and film like informational videos with them. So I got like hands-on training back in 2014, 15, 16 um, with the camera. And like you said, I, I did work a little bit with Terry Miller back in those days as well. And um, the first ever Smashbox live broadcast of disc golf Back in 2014, um, I was the I was the camera operator for that first live show for <laughs> Smashbox. Um, so yeah, I like I had this long history with with cameras and media and um, and 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 disc golf. And so um, in late 2021, I was still sponsored by Dynamic Discs, and I wasn't sure what I was how much I was going to play the next that next year 2022 um still dealing with another injury flare-up and so I was looking for something else to do and I talked to Eric McCabe about media opportunities with them in Emporia and so those conversations went well and I eventually moved out to Emporia and got a job as a media producer with Dynamic Discs and so I had even more um, experience behind the camera and then in July that year they they had to let me go um, they had to lay me off for budget reasons and I turned around and within a couple weeks found a job with the with the disc golf network and did you reach out to them yes okay. yeah and then and yeah so it's like those my two my two pat those two passions of mine 
um, came together and and worked started to work out really well. So it was like it was yeah. I mean, like you were saying earlier, like was it you know I had the disc golf knowledge. Was it did I just need to learn how to use the camera? Where uh, you know was that the the struggle or or was it like a lot of there's a lot of other people who know how to use the camera, but then they have to learn the inner workings of the of disc golf and the game and how the disc flies. So I think I was fortunate um, fortunate enough to have both of those. Yeah, the, there's a couple different directions that a lot of the main media folks have gone. Where you know, mm -hmm. Jomez kind of just had a camera and likes disc golf. Gatekeeper were much more proficient with the technical aspect, discovered disc golf, and yeah. got into it because of drone footage and stuff. Um, and I, I'm sure we could, you know, we could pinball back and forth and find how all of the other major, major media folks did. Right. Um, but I guess you're the rare operator who, if they were doing catch cam, wouldn't have to be told exactly where to stand. <laughs> and, you know, once you figured out how to track the disc you knew how it was going to fly or finish yeah um what can you give an example or explanation of how your time playing as an elite player gave you a leg up on being able to shoot disc golf yeah i mean i think i think it's just seeing the seeing the t-pad and seeing the fairway the first thing that i think of is what the what the flight path should be, what the flight path ought to be, if if the player wants to score well, mm -hmm. and usually if, if we're filming them, that's what they they want to score well. Yeah, it turns out they don't put jabronis on lead and chase card. Yeah, they're not really trying to. Yeah, they're yeah exactly. So it's like I know, I have a good idea of like what where the disc is going to go. So, um, that that helped a lot. Just just knowing that, knowing what to expect. Um, and then also, like I, I've watched, I've watched so much disc golf on, on TV, whether it's YouTube and Jomez, or even before that, like with, with Disc Golf Planet, I wa watched a lot of that growing up. And then, um, shoot, being having an injury and I and not playing, I watched a lot of Disc Golf Network broadcasts over the last few years. So I. It's like I knew how the disc should fly, and then I also knew how I wanted the product to look, uh, like when I was watching it. So then I thought right away, I was like, oh, I'm filming. I'm looking at what everybody else is looking at. So it's like I know that I know how I, what I want to see, so I might as well just give everybody else what they want, what I want to see. Um, so a couple thoughts there. Are, are you consciously thinking about the technical aspects of framing or exposure or like the things that a film person would think about or or is that just like natural and you're you're just following a disc yeah i mean the, the framing is uh like making sure that the players in players in the shot making sure um the targets in the shot is is crucial, and and then also showing like the playing the playing surface, 
like showing the ground that the player is on really gives a lot of context. I found that to be crucial. Yeah, absolutely. If you just look at a disc in the sky, it means nothing. Yeah. So it's like um, there's like little things that I that I picked up on during the first couple months on on the road this year, and so now I think I have like a. a a set idea of how I want the the shot to look and then once I once I have that framed up I mean the luckily the the auto exposure on the cameras does a a really good job so it it takes care of that for me I don't have to think about that Um, same thing with the focus most of the time the shots that I'm trying to get the autofocus is more is does a great job Mm -hmm. Um, certainly from the t-cam yeah so it's like I, so yeah, I set up, I find my frame, and then, and then it's like I, I, yeah, I kind of zone out, or I, or zone in even, and I zone into that monitor that I'm watching, and it kind of feels like I'm just sitting on the couch and I'm completely engrossed in <laughs> the action that's happening. I mean, and so then at that point it's like all my ego is gone i'm not trying to prove anything to anybody i'm just i i'm just driven by this desire to track the disc smoothly it's it's kind of strange but it's like it definitely feels like what i was how i felt when i was um at the height of my playing career was like i'm not trying to get a birdie i'm not trying to I'm not trying to get a rating. I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody watching. The sponsors, they already, my sponsors already know who I am. They already mm-hmm. know what I'm capable of. They even have a, at some points, they even believed in me more than I believed in myself. So it's like, at that point, I remember think, being on the course thinking like, I'm just out here just, just living and yeah. breathing and absorbing the information. And so... I've found the same kind of thing behind the camera during these live broadcasts. It's like we start the tournament and there's no room for ego. There's no, at least on in my position, there's no room for me to have an ego. I found that out, found that out real quick <laughs> because it's like I I know that like the golfer is the golfer is trying to accomplish something, and I know that the the most efficient way for them to accomplish that is with the least amount of distractions and but of course those distractions you can't there's natural distractions but I know that like as the camera operator I'm an unnatural distraction so I try to try to do things to lessen my impact that way and so can you give an example is this just like being in position to get the shot before the player is stepping up or that's that like, that definitely is like the goal the goal is to like is to get in position and and kind of camouflage mm-hmm. or at least get in position and pr- pretend like I'm a street performer and I'm like yep. completely still <laughs> um, but then yeah and then I mean it's just I think what also really helps is if I'm focused on what I'm doing, then then I can assume that everybody else is focused on what they're doing, and I know that that's what a golfer that's what they want. Yeah, I, from the playing perspective, um, 
like absent of, of like narcissistic ego here everybody is here to see me perform at my best right and that's true for all of the other disc golfers who are there like that and that's the like the royal me um we the field your job as the camera operator or anybody else in media is to show that to tell the story to to like make a narrative out of the round and the event um yeah. So it's my expectation that if I'm going to be a professional, you be a professional too. Of course. Um, I, uh, it's a good expectation to have. <laughs> going, going back to how you kind of described your work, um, I think really good art is best when the artist makes something that they want to make and then says, hey, take a look. What do you think? I'll take some. I'm good, thank you. No good. Um, uh, I am done here. You work on that one? Yeah. Uh, well, when the artist is making something that they want to make, and then just mm -hmm. says, like this if you want. Yeah. Um, versus making something for like really commercial purposes and I guess the, the challenge is you are listening to a producer you are doing this for a for-profit venture and you are kind of just like a little cog in their machine but I, I like sure. I like the artistic purity of you saying this is how I would want to watch it so I'm gonna try to I'm trying trying to give the shot that way yeah yeah I mean I and I I feel like I brought that over from the from my playing career as well it's like I I remember I remember like being a celebratory player. If I if I threw a good shot, if I made a big putt, I would celebrate with myself. A lot of left-handed fist pumps as I recall. Yes. Yes. Yes, quite a few. I am left-handed, yeah. I can prove it right now. <laughs> um and so yeah, I mean it's kind of the kind of the same thing. It's like, "Hey, I'm throwing this I'm I'm, I'm throwing this Heiser flip for me." because I like the way it flies and it really, and it applies to this hole and and so it's like of course I'm entering this tournament to on some subconscious level to impress other people with that um, but at the end of the day I know that like I got to impress myself first mm -hmm. before I impress other people um, but I think that I think what I was going for with that style of like reaction and exuberance and expressionism was um, it was kind of to show people like, hey, it's okay to express yourself. It's okay, you know, I want you to be courageous in your effort to express your true self. And so that's like what I, what I set out to do as, as a player. Um, and a lot of times it was like, a lot of times that would lead to me playing well and making money um, and so then it like became like one of my a goal of mine is like how what can I do to set an example for just at least one other person that that it's you know okay to be yourself mm -hmm. and um, and then I think when I 
I don't know how it really relates to the the camera camera work. Um, Not everything has to be directly tied. No. Yeah, you're right. I think, and I'm sure I'll sure I'll discover the the connection at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So you are part of a team of several camera operators, and you have an earpiece in, right? Someone, yeah. is, someone is saying we're on AJ, usually yeah, by, yeah. by camera number. Right. Um, how much preparation do you do ahead of time to walk a course, figure out like which side of the T-pad gives you the best angle down the fairway? Right. Um, if you're doing T-cam, like it's, it's pretty cut and dry. If you're doing a catch cam, you have to move a lot more swiftly. Right. Uh, how, how much prep are you personally doing before an event? I mean, uh, usually, usually I like to, to walk around, walk around the course at least once. Um, sometimes it's, sometimes the first time I'll walk around is backwards, walk around the course backwards, just to kind of like, to really shake things up and see how I react and see what I can learn from, from that kind of like, uh, different environment um but yeah once or twice once or twice the beforehand sometimes it's sometimes i'm not that not that fortunate don't have don't have all that time Uh, like last week we were at ledgestone so that's three courses that you would need to be prepared on right yeah with multiple different layouts on one of those yeah and i think like maybe two i think i had one and a half days. Luckily, I luckily last week I filmed um, this GK Pro Skins match at Eureka Lake mm-hmm. beforehand. So that was kind of like a that was a, a good little practice run. Right. Got me re got me a uh, really refamiliarized with with that track. Mm-hmm. Um, but other times, other times I'm not as not as luckily. Like I I don't think I walked Sunset Hills at all before um, Friday's round when we when the FPO division played out there. Right. So I was filming that one blind pretty much. Um, <laughs> it, it happens. Sometimes, it does, you yeah. have to, sometimes you have to play a course blind too. Um, yeah. When you're a player, you are focusing on approximately one quarter of the shots thrown on your card. Hopefully less, but not always. Uh, when you're operating a camera, you have to be pretty well focused on a hundred percent of the shots yeah unless there's you know another camera that can go to the other <clears throat> excuse me go to the other side of the fairway right. um does does sustaining that focus take its toll especially when you do both the fpo and mpo round yeah for sure yeah i mean like i <laughs> when i'm when i'm filming like i a lot of times I don't really know, like, like the players will throw their tee shots and I, I film all four flights and then we walk down the fairway and I have no idea like who landed where <laughs> because I'm just so focused on just, tra- disc. just tracking the disc. And as soon as, as soon as the disc is out of the player's hand, like I'm zooming past the person. So I'm just focused on a red disc flying through the sky, and I forget that, oh, that's Missy Gannon's red thrasher, mm-hmm. and it's landing behind that tree, and then now Ella Hansen is throwing her blue FD3, and, oh, it's landing behind that tree. It's like, I miss out. I 
I'm focused just on the just on the disc that I miss out on a lot of other details, and then and almost assuredly you're score blind too. Yes, very much so, very much so. That's and that's kind of like the fun part about it for me, I think. Um, like I, I love watching live sports, and I, I almost get like heartbroken when I record a football game and then I find out what the score is <laughs> before watching the football game. It's like I love, I love that. Uh, um, the like drama tension. Yeah, yeah the tension. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that drama. It's just it's titillating. It's scintillating, and so it's like to be. So then, yeah. I mean, a lot of times I don't know who's winning, who's who's shooting the hot round, and so it's just kind of fun afterwards to 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 hear like, wow, they Cole shot fourteen down that final round, ten ninety rated. Like, and like if you put it together in your head you might be like I guess he was up first a lot but like <laughs> yeah right <laughs> that's true yeah that's a funny way that, yeah now that you think about it it's like oh that makes sense yeah <laughs> but man in the moment I'm just like I'm walking down 18's fairway like like oh my god like we're so close oh god this camera's so heavy and like oh please just Please don't throw yet. Please don't throw it. I'm still, still walking left foot, right foot, left foot. It's like, and yeah, no idea what the what the scores are. It's fun. It's a lot of it's a lot of fun. But I, and maybe that maybe that like maybe that helps. Maybe it's like it's good that I don't know the score because then it's easier to focus. Yeah, like it's the producer's job to be creating the narrative by who they cut to yeah or like what they're telling the booth to be talking about yeah um can is there anybody who sticks out to you as the hardest player or players to cover whether because whether because they play fast or throw weird shots or just do something you're not prepared for yeah i mean it's it's those two things it's playing fast and then um throwing throwing like up and like up and over trees uh-huh. gets difficult to film um, playing playing fast is like that's uh that's become the most noticeable thing for me and it's and it gets to be a little bit frustrating um, and yeah I mean there's the Mondahano sisters are fast players um, found that like Ricky Wysocki is a is a he he takes his time once he gets to his lie but he is off and down the fairway as soon as somebody else is thrown yes and he does the ball golf thing where it's like someone's if someone's throwing on the right side of the fairway and his disc is on the left side of the fairway even if if Ricky's disc is closer to the basket he'll approach his lie when someone else is throwing because he's not like directly in their <laughs> periphery or in their line of sight so as soon as that disc is in the air, he's he starts his pre-shot routine, and so things like things like that get really difficult. It gets difficult to film um, because, like, yeah, I mean, I I know that like they're not gonna like the the director's not gonna take my shot until my monopod is planted on yep. the ground, um, and then I, and I really know that the viewers at home are not are they're gonna throw up if I if I'm running to the if I'm if I'm hitting record and running up to the player as they're throwing their shot like that's gonna be 
completely disorienting yeah, and terrible. You're not a GoPro watch. on a golden retriever's collar. Right. Yeah. I'm not that stable. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, AJ, I really appreciate you taking the time to like give the insight into how you've been able to make a second successful career in disc golf. Um, I, I hope that your ongoing recovery process for injury goes well. Um, but in the meantime, hey, it's great to see you back on the road. Yeah, thank you. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast and think that going to Waffle House is very high concept art and think that's great, uh, you can find me on Instagram and whatever the fuck Twitter is at fish58320. <laughs> And if you hated the podcast and want to tell AJ that his waffle choice was suspect, where mm. can people find you, AJ? They can find me on Instagram at, at Risby Jr. Uh, that's my handle. Um, and that's in uh, YouTube as well. I have a YouTube channel, AJ Risley. Uh, that's about it. Can I share with you a, a waffle thought? A waffle thought for the day? That's kind of, that's what I like to, how I like to, put a bow on all my experiences um so here we go you do not become good by trying to be good but by finding the goodness that is already within you and allowing that goodness to emerge that's all for this episode of the fish golf broadcast but be sure to check out previous episodes and subscribe wherever fine podcasts are sold Check out Fish Golf Bra cast hats and other apparel at discgolfbra.com and badger your friends until they listen too. Join us next time as I goad yet another guest into starting a fight with another touring player, campsite host, or toll booth attendant on the Fish Golf Broadcast.